0: And just as the children are heading out, I'm going to invite Louise to come and give us our gospel reading, which is Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12.
1: After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. We, and when I say
0: we, I mean most human beings, uh, we don't like things that interfere with our plans, our routines, our way of doing things, our way of being. And to demonstrate this, I want to use some trivial examples, because uh, if it's true uh, for relatively insignificant areas of our lives, uh, it will certainly be true for more important things. So hopefully you'll be able to relate uh, to one of these. Uh, So first one, think of the different uh, apps and programs that you use on your phone or your laptop. Uh, It could be online banking, email, Microsoft Word, Google Maps, Facebook, um, whatever it is. Have you ever opened an app or a program and found that it's been upgraded and everything is configured differently and it looks and feels different, it's kind of like you've got to learn the whole thing all over again. So. Let's have a show of hands. Uh, if that's ever happened to you, um, who thought, well, not, not show of hands yet, sorry, uh, have a show of hands in that situation, who thinks, great, they've upgraded my app. I'm so happy they've done that.
1: <laughs>
0: Vaughan does. Okay, you can see the more, more techie, techie, I thought that would be, I thought maybe the tech team would say, yeah, as well. Um, okay, so who thinks, what do they have to do that for? Now I've got to learn my way around this thing all over again. Okay. What about online shopping, the weekly food shop? If you've ever done your shop online, you'll know that if they run out of a product that you've ordered, uh, then they give you a replacement. They give you something similar to what you've ordered. So when that happens, show of hands, uh, do you think, oh, I'm so glad they've given me this instead of what I ordered. It's so much better. Who thinks that? And who thinks, why on earth have they given me this? It's nothing like what I ordered. I ordered a lettuce and they give me a cabbage. (laughs) (laughs) Or last one. I've noticed that uh, most of you tend to sit in the same place each week. If not the same seat, then definitely the same area. Have you ever come into church and found that the area where you sit is already full? And you have to suffer the terrible inconvenience of crossing to the other side of the church. And you think, why are they sitting in our area? Why are they sitting in our seats? And I sincerely hope the words, excuse me, but you're sitting in my seat, will never, ever be heard in this church in many ways, we are creatures of habit. Uh, We don't like change to be forced upon us, even uh, minor changes that don't really make any real difference to anything. Now, people can be resistant to change for all kinds of reasons, sometimes, for very good reasons, for example, if someone 's uh, autistic, they may want things done in a certain way, because uh, changes to routine can be very um, disruptive and difficult to deal with, uh, but often, people will resist change for purely selfish reasons, and King Herod Herod the Great, as he was known, uh, was one of those people. Uh, he was about as selfish as it 's possible to be, in fact, he was a selfish brutal, paranoid megalomaniac. And that's a very dangerous combination. He thought that the world revolved around him. And as king of Judea, to a certain extent, it did, at least within his uh, fairly large area of influence. Herod was a puppet king installed by the Romans, but he still wielded a lot of power and a great number of people had to dance to his tune. Uh, Today, we see him confronted with the prospect of a significant change, not a change to the format of his favorite app, but the kind of change that Mary sang about in her song that we were looking at last week. Mary sang these words, didn't she? He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. Of course, Herod didn't know anything about Mary's song, but he was informed that someone was to be born king of the Jews, or had been born king of the Jews. Well, Herod was actually known as king of the Jews. Uh, Actually, Herod wasn't even fully Jewish. He um, he came from an Idumean family, so he's descended uh, from the Edomites. Uh, his ancestors converted to Judaism, and so Herod was raised as a Jew. I think his uh, grandmother was Jewish, uh, but he had a fairly tenuous link to Judaism. Uh, nevertheless, he had been installed as king, and he became known as the king of the Jews. And he would do anything To hold on to his power. Uh, During his reign, he had one of his wives and his two elder sons murdered, uh, just to make sure they didn't try to seize the throne. Uh, Herod was paranoid that someone would try to steal his power. So another king of the Jews coming onto the scene is not a change that Herod could possibly accept. So how did Herod learn about this one to be born king of the Jews? Well, we're all familiar uh, with the story of the Magi, um, the uh, the wise men who came from the East. Now, if you get your theology from Christmas cards, you may now be thinking of uh, three kings sitting on camels. Uh, and the carol we sang earlier, We Three Kings, is a great carol, but it kind of reinforces that idea. But uh, that's not what the gospel describes. Firstly, Matthew doesn't tell us uh, that there were three magi. Actually, I'm glad to see there were four in our little skit. Uh, There were three gifts, but there could have been any number of magi. And magi were not kings. Uh, They were learned and wise advisors, possibly royal advisors of the sort that we read about uh, recently when we were looking at the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is set 600 years before the birth of Jesus, and a lot happened in the intervening Centuries, but if we want to know who the Magi were, we can think back to the king's advisors in the Book of Daniel, and that gives us some kind of idea. Not only that, but the fact that the Jews were exiled in Babylon for 70 years uh, means that there was a, a clear link between these two cultures. So a clear link between Judaism and the people who lived in the area that we now know as Iran. And this might give us a clue as to why these wise men from the East were interested in the birth of a Jewish king in the first place. Uh, it's likely they would have had, well, almost certain they would have had access to Jewish writings, the Torah. Uh, and if we look at something like uh, Numbers twenty-four seventeen, it says, A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. That's just one example. But the uh, the Jewish Bible, our Old Testament, clearly points to the arrival of a messiah figure. Anyway, these uh, magi, they arrive from the east, probably uh, with a large entourage. I don't think we're talking about three blokes on camels, uh, rather a group that was sufficiently impressive to gain an audience with the king. And they say to King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Uh, I mean, talk about a red rag to a bull they couldn't have said anything worse to king herod i mean it, it, that one sentence encapsulated all his worst fears he was a he was paranoid at the best of times and now a delegation had come from the east to worship a king a rival king that he knew nothing about until they told him so he assembles his chief priests and teachers of the law and he asks them and this is very telling He asks them, he says, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now, there's no doubt that Herod was already having uh, murderous thoughts. Uh, This king, this rival, this threat needed to be eliminated. But the question reveals that at the very least, he suspects that this could be Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the one spoken of by the prophets. The one who'd be sent by God, whose kingdom would never end. Herod suspects that the Messiah has been born and all he can think about is killing him. The change that this Messiah would bring is not something that Herod can accept, even if it's been ordained by God. Herod will never be able to say, I'm not king, Jesus is king. Anyway, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they tell Herod where uh, the Messiah will be born, uh, in Bethlehem, and they quote the prophet Isaiah saying, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod tries to trick the Magi into locating uh, Jesus for him, and he does so by pretending to be a worshipper. He sends him to Bethlehem and he says, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now there are plenty of people today in the world who pretend to be worshippers for all kinds of reasons, but always uh, to further their own aims as opposed to furthering God's kingdom. So the Magi have got the information they were seeking. Uh, They set off to Bethlehem, which was only about 10 kilometers uh, from Herod's uh, palace in Jerusalem. And Bethlehem seems to fit with their astrological calculations, which I find quite surprising. Um, Why would God use the pagan practice of astrology to lead these magi to Jesus? Well, I don't really have an answer for that, except how else would God get the attention of a group of pagan stargazers? Uh, By the way, astrology, so uh, looking at star signs and horoscopes, is something that Christians should have nothing to do with. Uh, If you've got time to read horoscopes, you've got time to read the Bible. Read the Bible. Horoscopes spread lies, confusion, and darkness. The Bible promulgates truth, certainty, and light. If someone asks you what your star sign is, say Bethlehem. The only star sign we're interested in is the one that points to Jesus. So the Magi came to the house and they uh, saw the child with his mother. Notice it says, on coming to the house. Not the stable or the inn, but the house. Again, Christian card theology would have us believe that in the stable surrounding Mary, Joseph, and Jesus were a donkey, an ox, three shepherds, a couple of sheep, uh, three kings, and a cat. However, we know that the shepherds and the magi didn't visit Jesus at the same time. The shepherds did visit Jesus on the very night of his birth. Uh, The magi came sometime after that. Uh, We know this because in Matthew's gospel, we read that when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Jesus was dedicated in the Jerusalem temple. Well, a woman who gave birth to a son uh, was considered impure for 40 days. She'd be in isolation. She'd stay in the home. Uh, So we know that when Jesus was dedicated in the Jerusalem temple, he was 40 days old. The Magi had to come sometime after that because at the very end of their visit, Joseph takes Mary and Jesus and flees uh, to Egypt in the middle of the night remember he's trying to uh protect his family from Herod who decided that all the baby boys in Jerusalem under the age of 2 uh, had to be uh, killed so it's probable that the magi visited Jesus when he was round about a year old something like that hence Herod want, wanted all the children under the age of 2 uh to be killed because you know to make sure that he got Jesus So the Magi arrive and they enter the house and they see not a tiny baby lying in a manger, uh, but in all likelihood, a little boy giving them a toothy grin. And they bowed down and worshipped him before presenting their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. What a contrast we see between the Magi and King Herod. Herod was consumed with hatred But the Magi were overcome with love and adoration, which is uh, the uh, motivation for all true worship. One of the best-known verses in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Herod represents the world. The world that is in rebellion against God. The world that hates God and would want to see him dead. God so loved the world that hates him that he sent his one and only son. But in the midst of this dark world, by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, there are those like the Magi who will bow the knee and worship Jesus. Now when we read this narrative, uh, we tend to think that maybe we're a little bit like the Magi and nothing like King Herod. The problem is in some ways our attitude can uh, often uh, bear resemblance to that of Herod. I'm not saying that we're like murderous psychopaths like Herod, but uh, there's some resemblance and I'll explain. Earlier I tried to demonstrate that we get stuck in our ways. Uh, We don't like Change, And this is problematic because a relationship with God through Jesus Christ will, in the long term, bring a tremendous amount of change to our lives and our characters. And it's not just that we don't like change. We don't like to change. We don't like to be changed. And like Herod, we don't want to relinquish control. And so we struggle to say, I am not king. Jesus is king. I'm not suggesting that we literally think that we're a king or a queen. We're not that deluded. I'm talking about an attitude which says, I am in charge of my life. I know what's best. I don't want anyone telling me how to live, not even God. I am the highest authority. When we have that kind of attitude, we're actually putting ourselves in Jesus' place. That kind of pride will prevent us from saying, I'm not king. Jesus is king. We might be able to say it, but our lives won't reflect it. Herod didn't want Jesus interfering with his plans and his glory. And uh, sometimes we can be the same even without realizing it. Our characters, habits, aims, aspirations, plans, and priorities have been formed over a very long time, and we are loath to change them. And we're very naive if we think that our characters, habits, aims, aspirations, plans, and priorities are perfectly aligned with what Jesus would want for our lives. That is not true for any of us. And the question of whether or not we start to change or continue to change is directly related to whether or not Jesus is king of our lives. A good question to ask ourselves is this. Am I a bit like Herod who resisted Jesus and wanted to remain king? Or am I like the Magi who went to great lengths to find and worship Jesus. Or to put the question another way, do I want to rule over my life or do I want Jesus to rule over me? I mean, Even when I say those words, for Jesus to rule over me, for some of us there's a bit of a, "Mm, I don't know whether I want someone to rule over me. But this is Jesus we're talking about who was and is God, who loves us deeply, who knows us intimately, and who wants the very best for us. We'd be very foolish if we didn't want Jesus to rule over our lives. Now those questions, do I want to rule over my life, or do I want Jesus to rule over me? If if you're anything like me, the honest answer is probably a bit of both. When I was writing this sermon, I thought about these Questions, uh, well, you would be pleased to know I do want Jesus to rule over my life. Uh, but I also realize that there, there are areas of my life where I resist his rule and his reign. And I, I think a lot of people will identify with that. We want Jesus to um, rule in our lives, but we know that sometimes we resist him. So I want us to picture in our minds those magi, grown men, Important men, learned men, bowing down before this toddler, before Jesus, and presenting him with their costly gifts. Now I want us to imagine ourselves bowing down, not before a toddler, but before King Jesus and offering him every area of our lives. And that's costly too, isn't it? What would it look like to submit every area of our lives to the Lordship of Christ? What would that look like for our relationships, our work life, our thought life, our finances, our desires, aspirations, and priorities? Those questions are too difficult to answer, I think, in 20 seconds. So I'd encourage all of us um, this week to take some time uh, to think on it and pray about it. And maybe Maybe identify one or two things in our lives that need to change and then in partnership with the Holy Spirit, set about changing them. Our Advent theme this week is love. And I, as I said earlier, all true worship flows from love, adoration, and knowing who God is. So let us close uh, by praying that our love for Christ uh, will continue to increase. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us so much that you sent us your Son. Forgive us for the times when we resist Jesus's kingship in our lives. We pray that our love for Jesus will grow and that our worship will become ever more sincere, unimpaired and complete. Help us to submit every area of our lives to the rule and reign of Christ and to be open and eager for the change that this will inevitably bring. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.